Hebrews chapter number 12. Before I get in the message tonight, I want to say what a joy it is for me to see the faces of Barry and Kathy Subject. I certainly miss you folks tremendously. There's hardly a time that goes by I don't think about you and think of your just the labor of love both of you invested in this ministry. And um, some time ago, probably about a couple years ago, I was missing my glasses, and so Barry gave me a pair of glasses. He said, keep them and use them up there. So every Sunday, these are my preaching glasses, and there's not a time that I don't pick these glasses up that I don't pray for both of you. I appreciate you. I love you, and uh, I'm still praying that somehow you'll come back down to Florida, but, you know, we'll, we'll wait for you to get right on God with that, okay? Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, I gave you enough time to go ahead and get there. Look at verse 1, if you would, please. Familiar passage of Scripture. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." When I was first here at Calvary Baptist, uh, now it's coming up on almost eight years ago, I preached from this passage of Scripture, preached this particular message, but I got word after the message was over, it was a bad recording. So part of it is I want to preach this again for a good recording, but I also believe as a preacher it is good to go through and repeat some of, this, some of these things. And I try not to repeat things that are too close together. This was eight, almost eight years ago, so really most of you probably were not here, and those of you that were here have probably forgotten the message, so I'm going to go ahead and preach it again. But it's a great passage of Scripture. The Lord has stirred my heart many times on this, and let's pray together and we'll get into our passage here today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of being able to come together, and I pray that you'd use the Word of God mightily in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you to notice the words that are used here in this passage of Scripture about running. The idea of let us uh, run here and run with patience the race that is set before us. I don't know about you, but I'm not much into running. I've been trying to exercise lately and do some things in my garage. I have particular exercises that I do. And I use a particular app, and just Friday, this app had me run in place. And I couldn't help but say as I was running in place, I hate running. I hate running. I hate running. I hate running. And to be honest with you, you may be like me on that, where you dislike running. But it's amazing as you look through the New Testament how the New Testament writers have likened the Christian life to a race But when we speak of a race, there are a number of different types of races that are in the Bible. The Bible never talks about this sprint race. In other words, the race of the Christian life has nothing to do with quickness, 
agility, or speed. It actually, the Christian life is likened to a race that would be a marathon. It has everything to do with endurance. In fact, in the King James Bible, the word patience is actually used, and it literally means this idea of endurance. Now, every person in this room here today is at a different stage of their race of life. Some of you are in the last lap. You're looking back at maybe some of the struggles that have been in the race, some of the disappointments, some of the problems you've gone through, and yet some of the joys that you've had. But some of you are here, you've just started out. You're looking ahead at the uh, enormous track that is before you and wonder, can you finish this race? Whatever stage in life that you're in, I want to encourage you to determine to do one thing, and that is that you will finish well that you'll endure to the end. We've had some contemporaries over the last number of years who in their particular race, whatever it was in, they did not finish well. I think of a particular president while he was in office, didn't seem to finish his office well, Richard Nixon. I think of a baseball player who didn't finish well by the name of Pete Rose. I think of a boxer who didn't finish well by the name of Mike Tyson. And there are people that may come to your mind here today, whether they be preachers, teachers, missionaries, or lay people of a local church that started well, who were very distinctive in their service for the Lord Jesus Christ, but somehow got off track, somehow missed the goal that God had for them. And I beg of you, don't allow God to let that happen in your life. There are Bible characters that we read about who didn't finish well. There was a particular professor many years ago of a a seminary who actually did a study of male leadership in the Bible and determined that the scriptural stories of great men, that only 30% of them really finished well. You say, oh, preacher, come on, this is the Bible, this is a book of success, this is a book of victories. Well, let me start naming some of the names. Saul, Solomon, Demas. So I'm encouraging you here today, I want you to finish well, but what does it mean to finish well? Well, to finish well means that you're going to walk with God victorious to the end of your life. Remember, this life is a marathon, it's not a sprint race, that means Every day, live by the rules of the Bible. I want you to finish well. What does that mean? Well, to finish well means to make a long life contribution to God's work with your time and your talents and your treasures. Oh, everything you do, whether you're a young person, college student, young adult, senior saint, do everything for the glory of God and follow His will. Don't waste your time with the frivolities of this life. Because the happiest people in this world are those who invested everything they had for God's work. And every person that's ever done that has always looked back and said, I wish I did more for God. To finish well means to leave a spiritual heritage to your children and even to your children's children. So I'm here to tell you tonight, it's imperative for ourselves and the next generation coming in behind us that we finish well. 
And the text scripture that I gave to you gives us three things that we need in order to finish well. Number one, follow the good testimony of others who have finished well. Follow the good testimony of others who have finished well. Now the first verse of this passage of scripture begins with the word wherefore. You've heard me say this, it's not original with me, it's often been said that when you see the word wherefore, you need to figure it out what it is there for. The word wherefore connects the previous chapter with this one. And so before the writer of Hebrews can tell you anything about running your race, he's going to remind you that there were others who ran the race before you. In fact, the writer's thoughts in this, he begins to share about these people in chapter 11 who are witnesses. Notice here in verse number 1, he says, we are compassed about. That word compass is a very interesting word. It means to be circled about, to have something lying all around. Do you realize in our lives, every one of us have lying around us people who have gone before us and have finished well. But what are we compassed about with? We're compassed about with witnesses. Now, it's pretty amazing here that many people look at this idea of witnesses and they'll say, oh yeah, everybody who's died before us, who's lived the Christian life, they're kind of looking over the banister of heaven and looking down at us and saying, oh, I hope you make it, and they're cheering us on. And I'm not going to doubt that that's possible. It may be that some of those people can see you and are cheering you on. But I want you to notice that the word witnesses is actually a word that comes from the Greek word martus, from which we get the word martyr from. And the word goes very deep because it is something more than just an observer or a spectator. It has this idea of somebody who is a witness, a witness. Now, the term witness is a legal term. It means to bear record or be a witness of something. And these people in chapter 11 and other people in your lives are bearing witness to you and I that God can see you through every difficulty. You ever have the compulsion to just want to give up? You ever want to just kind of sit back down and say, I'm I'm through with this, I'm done with this? Well, I want to tell you, these people in chapter 11, people in your lives who've gone on to heaven before you are witnesses of this fact. I made it. I served God with my life, and God gave me the grace to do what I need to do, and He can give you the grace to do what you need to do. All of chapter 11 is given to us to say, here are these people. Now look at who these people are. He lists some of the Bible characters. If you take time, and I'd encourage you later tonight to look through chapter 11, notice people like Noah. You say, well, what does Noah have to do with faith? That guy had some patience. Huh. You ever think about being patient here about building and spending 100 plus years building an ark and waiting for God to do something? He learned some patience. Abraham, a man that was given a promise by God, but waited for years and years and years before that promise got fulfilled. 
Joseph, I think of all the tremendous difficulties this man went through, hatred in his own family, false accusation about things that they said he did, and yet here's a man who finished well. Moses was a man who had to choose between the things of this world and the things of God. And then you look at the last part of chapter 11 in verses 36 to 40, and there's all these unnamed people who finished either abruptly in a way that we wouldn't like to finish, but guess what? They accomplished what God had for them. And they are witnesses because by faith they follow God and by faith they finished well. May I ask you this? Who are, besides Hebrews 11 and all the Bible characters, who are the people in your life who were saved and finished well? Are they not a witness to you? Do we not have lying all around us in our own minds of all these people who have lived before us and have shown us that you can live for Jesus? Boy, I think back to so many people in my life. I think back to my sweet mom. My mom lived for Jesus. And she showed to me that you can live for God with all your heart. I have people in my school, the Christian school that I went to. I have a wonderful deacon friend at the first ministry that we were at that, that gave such an example to me. And on and on I can go to people who have lived such an example for me. But I'm here to tell you that if you're going to finish well, then you have to consider those who have gone on before you. But number two, how can I finish well? Fix those things in your life which hinder you from finishing well. Fix those things in your life which hinder you from finishing well. Now, there are many who we know of that didn't finish the race because of its difficulty, and the race was made difficult because of things that they've allowed in their life. I want to ask you a question here for just a moment. How many of you, and this is a silly question, how many of you have ever rode a tandem bike with somebody? You made it. You lived. My wife and I did it. It was probably one of the biggest arguments we ever had in our life. I'm telling you. I remember reading this little story about two people on a tandem bike going up a very steep hill. And they're going up this hill, they're perspiring, they're panting for all their worth, and they finally got to the top of the hill, and the man in the front said, wow, that was a tough climb up that hill. Second man said, boy, it surely was. If I hadn't kept the brake on, we would have slid and gone backwards. Well... The whole scenario that the writer portrays is that of a runner without any difficulties in his life. In other words, when you picture runners, you picture of a runner with light clothing, light shoes. Paul gives to us in this, these verses two scenarios that would cause someone to not finish well. First of all, notice here in verse number one, let us lay aside every weight. Now the word for weight, it literally means a hindrance or that which is a burden. 
the Greek word doesn't signify whether it is good or bad burden. It is simply something that weighs us down, it diverts our attention, it saps our strength, it dampens our enthusiasm for the things of God. Let me give you a little hypothetical illustration for just a moment. All of you have probably watched the Olympics, and maybe in the Summer Olympics you've watched the race. Well, imagine if there was a particular sprint race that was going on, and one of the runners from one of the countries came, and he was wearing work boots and a hat and about three or four different shirts on and jeans, and he had some weights around him. And he got down to the sprint line and was ready to go ahead and run. You'd say, that guy is surely going to come in the last place. Why? Because a runner, to be effective in the race, is going to have as light a clothing, as light a shoes, as very little on them as possible, so they can run that race. No weights What God is telling us as Christians is to lay aside the things, whether good or bad, that will distract us. It is said that the army of Alexander the Great was advancing on the country of Persia. There was one critical point that it appeared that the troops just felt very defeated. In fact, the soldiers had taken so much plunder from their previous campaigns that they became weighed down and they were beginning to lose their effectiveness in combat. So Alexander, as only Alexander the Great could do, immediately commanded that all of the spoils be thrown in a heap and burned. The men complained bitterly, throwing all that stuff on the, on the pile but soon came to see the wisdom of the order. And somebody wrote these words after the next campaign. It was as if wings had been given to them. They walked lightly again. Victory was assured. Can I say to you, there may be some things in your life that need to be put aside. There's some things in your life that are weighing you down. What is it? Is it a friend? Is it some activity or hobby? Is it a desire? I love the great preacher Wilbur Chapman. He said this, The rule of my life is this. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian word difficult, it is wrong for me and as a Christian, I must turn from it. That's the weights that are be put aside. But notice something else Paul says, not just laying aside the weights, but also let's carry this idea of laying aside the sin which does so easily beset us. He's talking here about besetting sins. What is that? Well, it refers to something or anything that would interfere with you completing something. It would be like running a race and a competitor getting in your way to keep you from winning. This sin could be any number of things in your life that you know is not right. Right now, you need to think through, what is it that I'm allowing in my life that's, not allow, that's keeping me from finishing? I just tell you, look through the scriptures of people who failed. 
Think through in your mind of people around you who have failed the Christian life. And you'll probably, if you know some of the scenario, you'll know there was something that they allowed, some sin area they wouldn't deal with. And therefore, they didn't finish well. So number one, we've got to go ahead and, and look through and understand that there are sins and things that need to be laid aside. But I want you to give, take this last point here, number three, and that is focus on Jesus who so desires that you finish well. I love these words here in verse number two, the first three words, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Now, why consider Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us He's the author of our faith. Question for you, what are you looking at to get you through life's race with all the twists and turns, with all the uh, problems that might lie ahead? Oh, people look for answers in this life, and they'll look a lot of different places, but I'm telling you, there's no better place. The best place to look is to Jesus Christ. The rock that is my foundation is Jesus. All the inspiration for my life and what should be for your life should be Jesus. I read this illustration many years ago and I was so impacted by it. I've used it on a number of occasions. Somebody wrote, Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, Jesus only for three. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who were among the greatest of philosophers. Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry. But Dante, Milton, and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music, but Haydn, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection in the hymns and symphonies they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter of Nazareth. He is the author of our faith, and He is the finisher of our faith. Jesus didn't just show you how to live. He didn't just teach you or tell you or point you in the right direction. But Jesus came for the sole purpose of giving us what you and I need in this life, and that's hope. He led the way died on the cross of Calvary, was resurrected on that third day, and is given hope of eternal life, and is given hope of living for Him here and now. Oh, I've been thinking often about Peter and the disciples that day that they were on the boat. Remember that time Jesus appeared to them? Jesus walking on the water? What a powerful illustration. <clears throat> Peter, as you well know, very impetuous, says to him, Lord, I want to come to you. Jesus says, come, step out. Now imagine here, before thinking any further, Peter steps out, starts walking to Jesus. 
all under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment Peter starts thinking of, wait a minute now, I'm on water? Sees the waves coming up, starts looking all around him at the problems, is the moment he begins to sink. Can I remind you that like Peter, the reason many of us don't finish well is because we're focusing on everything else. That person I'm following. Hey, Paul said, as long as I'm following Jesus, you follow me. But your ultimate person to follow is Jesus. Oh, I'm following this church. I'm following this creed. I'm following this thing. I'm following that. Follow Jesus because he's the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, I love the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see. There is a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. My friend, I want to encourage you today to determine to do something. And I'm telling you, It has to be a decision you make. You must determine to finish well. In order to finish well, you're going to have to follow the good testimony of those who've already finished well. In order for you to finish well, you're going to have to fix those things in your life which will hinder you from finishing well. And number three, if you're going to finish well, your focus has to be on Jesus. The story is told that on October 20, 1968, it was by 7 o'clock p.m. there at the Mexico City Olympic Stadium, it was beginning to get dark. Everything had cooled down there at the, at the Olympics. The last of the Olympic marathon runners were being assisted away to first aid stations. Over an hour earlier, a man by Ethiop- by, from the country of Ethiopia had charged across the finish line, winning the 26-mile, 385-yard race, looking as strong and as vigorous as when he had started. As the last few thousand spectators began preparing to leave, they heard some police sirens and whistles through the gate and entering the stadium. stadium. So everybody's attention turned to the gate. There was a sole figure wearing the colors of Tanzania that came limping into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Aquari. He was the last man to finish that marathon in 1968. His leg was bandaged and bloody. He had taken a bad fall early on in the race. And now it was all that he could do to limp his way around the track towards that finish line. The crowd stood and applauded as this man completed that last lap. When he finally crossed the finish line, one man dared to get over to him and ask him the question that was on everybody's mind. Sir, you're badly injured. Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you give up? And Aquari looked at him with such quiet dignity and said, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish. God sent His Son Jesus to die for you, 
to give you eternal life. To start the race. But he didn't just pay for you to start it. He's paid for you to go all the way and finish. Tonight, would you make a decision to finish well? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. The blessing has been to my own soul, and I trust to the souls of these people here today. May there be decisions across this auditorium right now, people who will say, I will make a decision today to finish well.